Hey guys, welcome back to No Right Around. Uh, I think we have a pretty fun one for you today. Uh, before we get into that, though, um, we are in the heart and soul of mountain biking season right now, despite the clouds outside looking pretty rainy. Um, and our buddy Justin here just had his first big race of the season. And uh, how'd that go? Dude, I'll tell you what. Uh, so Ridgeline Rampage, 50-mile race on a trail network that if you are one of many, and I'm not saying that any of you are listening, and I'm, not, I'm deaf, I, for a fact, my brilliant host Harley here is not one of these, but there are many pretentious mountain bike riders in the city that would never want to ride 12 miles out of that trail network I was on for this race, and the race was 50 miles. And I will tell them and kind of anyone else listening, any mountain bike trail can be a ball of fun if you bring the right energy to it. In Ridgeline Rampage, a couple of weekends ago down in Castle Rock on the Philip Miller course and on the, on the Ridgeline um, section of trail, it's not intense trail, but that means that you can fly. Like it is a fast race, cross-country oriented, full gas out of the gate, like full mass field start. And it's just, it's just everything you can pedal from the beginning of the race until, for me, four hours and 12 minutes later at the end of the race. Tons of fun, 50-miler. Yeah, I uh, so I did that that race on a slightly different course, and uh, it is not the type of race course that suits my my type of riding. Um, I think most people would agree that it's it's it, there's not a lot of elevation out there, right? And so they worked with what they had, which means it just kind of traverses a lot of short hills about a million times. Yeah, it, you know it's. So it's a, it seems like a spaghetti network a little bit mm -hmm. on the Philip Miller side, but when you actually ride the course, it, it has a big loop flow to it where you're not crossing through areas. As a matter of fact, there was only one area that you actually did a cross, like where you came back through the exact same spot. But no, you're right. The trail's not a typical Colorado ride where you do half the rides climbing up and the other half is just bombing down. Um, and we all get super used to it. Like if a ride is anything else than that, we kind of have to get over it to appreciate it for being a better ride. Or we just don't even give it credit. There's so many times I've looked on mountain bike project when, you know, in, in Colorado here or traveling out of state and I'm like, 1100 feet of climbing in 17 miles, this trail is whack. And then you go out there and realize, oh, wow, that just means that I had to pedal the entire time. And it's just a different type of fun. And that's Kind of what I mean about this Ridgeline course uh, and actually both races in this Rocky Mountain Endurance Series, the guys do a great job of putting on the event. It's an awesome uh, control to the event. And what I mean by that is it's not, it's not like a back, backwater race where it's kind of loosely thrown together. It's done very well. The guys that run it do a very good job. And uh, it's, it is just different, but man, it was so much fun. You don't ever not pedal. And I, I look at some of the XC race courses, both here domestically. We just had the mountain bike marathon championships were last weekend in uh, Palo Duro Canyon, Texas. Not a lot of elevation gain there either. Pedally. You look at some of the European XC races. I mean, you look at some of Nino Scherter's World Cup race. Pedally, right? There's not this bomb up, bomb down. Yeah. So it was fun to be a part of that. And uh, I raced. Uh, yeah, how'd you do? <laughs> well, how, how, did, how did it all go? I raced single speed. This is my first single speed race ever. And uh -huh. it's one of my big goals this year is to not only race single speed, but also to, to do well. I want, I want to win some of these races and leading up to the Leadville 100 single speed this year, where I have a pretty lofty goal. And so 
I went out at it like I tell you I do in every race, which is with zero strategy and just 100% gas. And <laughs> That's so- not 100% true. I mean, maybe day of on the start line, but I mean, you've ridden the course a ton. I mean, how many laps do you have on that course between uh, all the events you've done? Between out there? all the events out there, I have, I have over 350 miles on those trails, which uh. is like, <laughs> you know, 30, 40, 30 sure. laps out there. Yeah, that's a lot. A lot. Um, so you know the course, you have course knowledge. You even were pre-riding it. For the couple of weeks leading up to the event, couple weeks. once a week at least. We were fine-tuning, gearing, which on a single yep. speed, one of my favorite quotes I ever heard about uh, racing a single speed was, you're just in the wrong gear 90% of the time. <laughs> and it was. Um, but so uh, saying no strategy I don't think is really fair. Yeah, no, it's not. Okay, so I did a lot of preparation. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of, a lot of thinking. But then when, when it came to race day, you know, the, so I was in the marathon category. It's 50 miles, right? It was a four-lap race format for the marathon. And they sent us off with the XC category as well. And the XC category was just two laps. So what I mean by strategy is if you're racing two laps of a course, each lap being 12 miles and change, you're going to go at it very differently than if you're racing four laps of the exact same course, right? Yeah. Just by default, you're like, yeah. you I got pace, can't. It's different yeah, pacing, right? I can't blow my, my wad on this first lap or two i've got four of them well i didn't look at everybody in the race field and they sent off all the pros and then they were about to send off the cat one uh cross country category and they go oh wait no let's send all the let's make sure the single speeds get out there so i said hey all single speeds come to the front of the field we're going to be leaving in 15 seconds well there was a a corral of 100 racers and so all the single speeders are kind of navigating through there and then they do the countdown four three two go and I didn't even pedal off the start. I was running my bike like cyclocross style <laughs> and mounted cyclocross, mounted the bike and took off. And so I didn't get a good look of everybody that was in the field. Mm-hmm. And so we start pedaling and, and I just don't like in a single speed, you, you, what I've learned is you've got to be at your pace. And so if anybody's in front of you and they're affecting your pace in a negative way, that is a problem. So I said to myself, let's eliminate the variables and let's get in front. So <laughs> lead follower, get out of the way. Totally. So I gas it and I start passing these racers and everybody I'm passing, we have calf markings yeah. and everybody I'm passing has got an XC single speed, XC single speed, XC. So I pass like eight or nine riders, 10 riders total, and they've all had XC. And so I have now told myself, shoot, I'm the only one in merit. Did I, am I like, did I win this category by default? Like oh. I'm the only one that showed up. <laughs> and the entire race, I thought that. So instead of having a marathon strategy, I thought, well, let's make fun out of this the best I can. So I'm just going to act like I'm racing the XC category also, just mm-hmm. for fun purpose. Because if I get through two laps, it's only me out there. I can struggle bus home. Right. I ended up third place in the XC single speed. <laughs> um, and that, I was in first place for the whole first lap where we averaged 12.7 miles an hour. That's a good clip. Oh, dude, I've never, in all my pre-riding, I never broke 11.8. So I knew what we were hauling. I stopped at the end of the first lap and got a bottle and the other two guys that were with me kept going. So do the second lap. I end up technically in third place for XC. Keep hauling the mail. Long story long, Harley. I raced the entire race thinking I was by myself. And so I came through the finish line. I'm like, yeah, I won field of one first place, but still rode really hard. Like averaged 11.8 the whole, the whole lap or whole race. 
Come to find out there were 10 people in the field, and I only got first by three minutes and 13 seconds. So <laughs> my, like, no strategy is what I mean in that regard. I didn't pay attention to kind of what I had going on and took for granted the back half of the race. Yeah. Um, fortunately, came out with the win, which was a goal. Um, the second race, the final race of the series is in a couple of days is on Saturday, and my goal is to win that one as well. And fortunately enough, it's a, the Colorado State Championship. So my goal is to walk away with a good little single speed start to the year. Do you get a, will you get a, a jersey for that? Yeah, it's a, it, they're all USAC races too, so the nice. points apply. And, nice. Um, so I'll walk with a jersey. If I get it, you know, I got... Yeah, nothing's... There's no foregone conclusions in, no, in racing, No, not at all. Right? And, you know, I have some advantages to my benefit this weekend. It's supposed to be 63 and raining. It's going to be a miserable day. And I'm an inclement weather guy because I'm a nitty-gritty, mean, bottom-of-the-barrel mofo. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm ready to I race like it. it. <laughs> so that kind of brings me around to, like, the next thing. So the, the next race is Saturday. It's called Battle of the Bear. And it is a course that that suits my mentality when it comes to like where I excel at, at where I think I excel at, which is just being able to find a rhythm mm -hmm. and settle in and just kind of just try to be consistent and just in a weird sort of way, just focus on that suffering instead of having how the suffering is going change every three minutes. Right. Um, and so I actually did a really fun little training. I've been talking about doing it for a couple of months. Um, I did a fun little training ride uh, from my house, and it was a mixture. Of, it was predominantly pavement. I mean, it was probably 19 miles of pavement and maybe I don't know, 11 miles of dirt or something like that. Um, but I rode from my house out to Bear Creek Lake Park and then <laughs> got lost on the most confusing trail network. And when I say got lost, I mean, you know, you'd go – you see two ways to go and be like, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go off this direction. And then you, you realize it just doesn't go anywhere. And you turn around and it was never really lost, but trying to figure it out. Um, I had never, ever, 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 ever pedaled a stroke on a dirt in Bear Creek park, Bear Creek Lake park, Bear Creek Lake state park. Yeah. That all the words. Um, Four so I'd never ridden any dirt there. Um, and, uh, I was shocked that, I mean, it's not technically challenging. There's no big jumps. There's no big hucks. There's no real features to speak of. But it's a fun and fast course. And it got me to thinking how easy it is for us to get real snobby about the trails we ride. Dude, I will tell you, I'm so glad that you said it that way because we are so spoiled. If you Google search... If you're listening, do this. Just pull out your phone while driving right now. And uh, <laughs> or don't don't do that. And search top 50 mountain bike rides in the United States. And a considerable amount of them are in the state of Colorado. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there are trails that we do all the time. And because of that, we are so like we're eating filet mignon every meal, and we're like, what is this ground beef? Yeah. And the trails that we have around here, they they are mind blowing. But every trail kind of is, especially when you hit a little streak of not mountain biking, right? We had bad weather here, you know. All uh, the time yeah. this year. And Tonight. so, <laughs> yeah. And so you, you, you don't mountain bike and then you go ride something as simple as Bear Creek Lake State Park. All the four-letter words in that title. Yep. And you're like, wow, it is fun. It's just different fun. Like, learn to enjoy the different stuff. It is. And I think the it's challenging because we do have a ton of great rides that are 
five minutes, 10 minutes further than where that park is. If you're driving to Bear Creek State Lake Park, <laughs> I think I messed it up. If you're driving out there, um, why wouldn't you just keep going to Mount Falcon, which is a classic XC training ride here that's everybody kind of uses as the, the litmus test for what their fitness is doing. Like, why wouldn't you go five, 10 minutes more for a quote unquote more legit trail? And I've, that's been my mentality for 15 years of living in Colorado is just, why would I do that? Like, why would I, why would I eat that New York strip when there's a filet another five minutes down the road? Right. Um, but just kind of starting the, the morning with a mission of I'm going to ride my mountain bike to this spot, do this, um, then ride back. Just kind of force myself to try something new. And you take that trail and you plunk it down in Texas or, you know, Kansas or yeah, Iowa, Iowa, Arkansas. It's a really good trail. You know, I would say in its own way, it's got a leg up on some of the stuff we rode in Bentonville. Totally. I mean, it's got, it's all single track. Mm -hmm. so yeah, it is out. very like it's all single ribbony track. single track. Yeah, and it's twisty. You're engaged. You're having to pay attention to the trail. And you can go fast. And you can go. So I pre-rode it on Sunday on my single speed just to see kind of where things will shake out for me. Uh, I just like to know my average speeds. That way I can keep myself accountable. And I did my pre-ride on Sunday, which was Mother's Day. I did it while at one point I was talking to both my mother and my grandmother simultaneously. Um, so, uh, you know, while riding. And so people thought I was crazy. No, it's funny that you did that because I was on, so I had an earbud in uh, for my ride. Um, and there were some equestrians holding up the trail. And I was like, well, I'm just going to, I'll call Roger. Like, yeah. And then I just stayed with them on the phone for my whole lap. Like, <laughs> like I was working and my heart rate was up, but I was on the, like, I was just like having a chat with a bro, like, dude, this trail's kind of cool. And then we would chat a little bit and be like, oh, that was a really fun section. And like, <laughs> so I did the exact same yeah, thing. No, it, and you can do it out there. And so I was able to do the ride and have the conversation. And I still averaged like 13.8 miles an hour. Yeah. So on race day, it is going to be fast. And it doesn't matter where you're riding. If you're holding, 14 and a half or 15 miles an hour on a mountain bike. It's just fun. It's yeah. just the way it yeah. is. So you're just going fast and it feels good. And there's a couple of little elevation gains, but they're not long. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think for me, Bear Creek is now going to have a spot in my overall approach to mountain biking this year. Hey, I need to go do a recovery ride. There's no way I'm going up any other trail in a recovery mode, but I can go do that at a recovery pace. Let me ask you this. You got to do a steady state training ride. It's what's on the calendar. It's what I need to get in. Another and perfect trail for it. Yeah. Instead of jumping on your road bike, you jump on your OETH and you jam out to the park and yeah. you do a lap there and come back, which sounds more fun. Like if you were to place them side by side, I'm going to do this road ride or I'm going to ride my mountain bike to Bear Creek and do a lap. They're going to provide the same purpose. What's yeah. more fun? The playing in the dirt 10 playing out of 10 times. Absolutely. So I, yeah, it was, it was fun. So why did I go right out there? I was thinking about racing on Saturday and I, and this is kind of circles. This is like a nice little way to kind of come around to the topic of, of today's episode. I can't get from sitting to standing on racing on Saturday. I can't and do it. So you tried today cause you had a little spark. <laughs> I did. So, um, an E3 member and a base camp customer, Dan Larson was at the, at the shop picking up some, uh, incidents. I didn't know he was racing on Saturday. 
Uh, yeah, he just decided. Yeah. And so moments like I was talking with him and then one of our other uh, team guys, this guy, uh, Colin uh, Donovan, not, not Colin that works at the shop. Um, he came by to kind of see what our presence was going to be out there. And, and I just kind of got swept up into that. I, I was telling Justin before we started recording today, I was like, you know, sometimes I have to have the exact moment of inspiration. And if I've got it, I'll do it. And I had that moment today where I was like, I'm going to register. It's, and I think they slightly changed the cat two course from 30 miles to 24 miles. Yep. Yep. They did. Um, and, uh, I just had this little like moment of like, okay, I can do this. Like I'll, I'll just do it. I'll just do the hell with it. I'll do it. Like, um, and online registration was down. <laughs> it was closed. Closed Wednesday night, 1159. Um, yeah. you said Dan was in the shop. Yeah. Here's the text message I get from Dan yesterday afternoon. Uh, Josh Fleer is also racing. And Josh asked me to forward on a text message that he's going to race the cat two which is 23 miles, um, and they dropped the cat three distance down to just 11 and a half. Right. So I was supposed to forward that on to him, and I did. And Dan wrote back, thanks, man. I'm going to either ski quandary, which is a 14er here in the state, or doing this as my first race, his first race ever. Yeah. 11 and a half miles seems great. You know, I can do that. Either way, Saturday would be fun. So I write back, yeah, hey, it sounds perfect. And then about an hour and a half later, he goes, looks like there's crap weather up high, meaning he's not going to go ski. So I'll probably just hit up base camp guys to not look like a Jerry tomorrow or Saturday <laughs> and get a real kit. Yeah. So I'm assuming he came in to try to not look like um, he uh, a bro in a bike race. He kind of did and he kind of didn't. Um, so I, I love the community that we have because, you know, spouses will come in and be like, hey, you know, such and such has this event. What do they need? What do they want? And uh, in this particular case, Dan's wife, Adrian had come in and she's like, you know, his birthday's coming up and I just don't know what to get him. I was like, well, you know, lots of mountain bikers, they don't want to spend money on the not fun stuff, meaning inner tubes and CO2 canisters and bars and you know, that sort of stuff. And we do want to spend money on the really fun stuff, bike, obviously, um, socks, apparel. And, uh, this is my understanding that one of Dan's goals this year is to do uh, the Grand Traverse mountain bike race. Yeah. And uh, I suggested as like kind of a nice, a nicer higher end, you know, bigger gift. I was like, you know, maybe he like a, a, a cycling kit, like a, like a, a spandex Lycra racing kit. And she's like, eh, I don't know. I was like, okay, well <laughs> it's a thought, you know, I just, I threw it out there and uh, he came in and he's like, nah, can't, can't do, do it. I can't do it. Oh, he can't go. He can't do it. And, and and I get it. Like it doesn't look cool to. I mean, I think it looks. I cool. think it looks way cool. I think it looks like a superhero. Yeah, but to most people, you know, they much rather prefer a baggy short, a baggy jersey, that sort of look. And uh, so he 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 didn't really go for the the full XC race kit. I get it. He's doing an eleven and a half mile race. I think as he gets deeper into his training, it, you can't argue. I wear baggies frequently, not every ride, but a lot of rides. And they're not extremely functional. No, you actually spend more time kind of jacking your... with all the stuff <laughs> yeah. than anything. Um, I, rode, I rode baggies this week because I, so 
one of the ways to get away from a taper, because I, I hate tapering, and we'll talk more about this as we get into the topic, is to do fun rides the week of a race. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I can make sure I do a fun ride is to intentionally wear baggies. Yeah. So by default, I wear baggies when I don't want to go fast. Right, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, so Dan's not quite there on the... Uh, uh, we got work to do. <laughs> He'll get there. We got work to do. We'll take him on, you know, we'll do some long ride and by the end of it, he'll, I think he'll get there. Um, well, this brings us, this brings us kind of into our topic yep. for the day, which is trying to talk about what does it take to go from couch to event? Yeah. What does it take to, to move from point A to point B? And, you know, our last episode with, with coach Andy, he had said one of his tips was if you're going to take biking seriously as a hobby or, or a stress reliever or just in general, if it's going to be a passion of yours, do two race events. Mm-hmm. Just do them for the experience of it and just to know what's out there. It's very much like when I have somebody join the gym. I don't let them just join. Even if they have all their friends work out there, their spouse works out there, they've seen the workouts, they know about the program, I make them do the two-week trial so that they have to turn over all the stones, small group, large group, cycle, one-on-one training, so that they know, hey, at least I know what's behind those doors. May not be for me, um, but I won't know until I open them. And that was what Andy's coaching tip was to, to try it. So our episode tonight is to how to get from couch to event, not just mentally, right, but how to get there with my body, how to get the fitness right, what do I need to do, what should I do to prepare myself, uh, how to get my gear right, do I have the gear I need, what do I need, you know, what do I need to stop by the shop for? Yeah. Um, and, and just how to, how to hit green light because race season has gone underway. These two races we've talked about, Ridgeline Rampage and the Battle of the Bear, are both great beginner races, and you're seeing a lot of beginners in there, uh, which is awesome. And, and so that's what we're going to cover tonight. But before we jump in, I'm going to do it, and it's only because I have a heart of gold. And here's what we're going to do. <laughs> You had a customer, two customers come in today procuring wares for this weekend's race, correct? Yep. You rode on pavement to the trail to pre-ride the event area. You tried to register online today, but were uh, turned away. Yeah. So before we get into the, into the podcast episode, I'm going to ask you to publicly, are you going to race on Saturday or not? And this is a binary answer. A binary answer, like Me. it's a yes, not like a yes, eh, probably. It's you know, a binary situation. Look at this weather forecast. <laughs> this is. I'll give you the weather forecast. You're gonna have to be kind of hard because the weather no, forecast looking at is a high shitty. of 63 with rain. Now, uh, in your binary answer, you can't be in charge of weather. So if there's a last minute cancellation, there could be a trap door. But I want to ask you this, and the reason I want to ask you this is because the people listening to this episode are not all cut from the exact same cloth as myself. I'm going to talk about me. Um, I, I, I don't know what I'm chasing, but I'm chasing something and it's not fulfilled. And so yes is so easy to say. And everything I say in the next part of this episode is going to be like, yeah, man, go get it. Just never know who you are until you know who you are. I'll answer it before we're done. Before we're done with the episode, there'll be an answer. There'll be an answer. We call that a cliffhanger in the entertainment <laughs> industry, folks. <laughs> So uh, part of the reason that I wanted to do this is kind of unintentionally, this has become a very racing heavy podcast. Like, yes, it's all about the, the culture and the community of mountain biking and cycling in general, but it's become 
and I don't, I don't think to any detriment necessarily, but I, I think it's become um, very, very focused on, on bike racing. And uh, I can't help but wonder if some people will listen to one and think, well, I'm not a bike racer. What do I care? Right. And I've had customers in the last two weeks who, um, one in particular, there's a really fun event here going into its fourth year called the Golden Giddy Up. And it's just, it, it is a bike race. There are people who compete. Um, I think Justin took, what did you get second in your age or your category last week yeah. or last year? Yeah. Um, yeah. Second. So, I mean, there, there, there's stuff at stake. There's a pro purse. Like there's, it's a legitimate race, but it's also, there are people who just show up to be able to ride some of the trails that we have on a closed course and go as fast as they want and have a good time. And, uh, one of my customers is, you know, her and her husband ride their asses off. They ride, all over the state, all over Utah. They ride bike parks. They ride cross country. They do a little bit of everything. And I, I asked her if she was going to race this year. And, uh, she's like, I, I don't know how to race bikes. I was like, it's just like riding your bike with a number plate. And I think that, I think people just feel like there's a barrier to, to bike racing that I don't believe exists. No, I would agree a hundred percent with you. And I, I would agree with you because you can translate that to anything at any part in any hobby and any passion in the world, right? Like when you take something from just, I do this thing and then you frame it with like a very legitimate start, stop yeah. and organization and a structure to it that is different. Um, you know, my, my wife, for instance, is a phenomenal dancer. She tap dancer, Denver Nuggets dancer was a Broncos dancer. Like, amazing dancer, um, loves to dance, loves to teach people to dance. We opened up a dance studio that she was the owner of and ran and realized while I love to dance, when we put a full framework around it and made it a thing, an official thing, oof, I didn't really like the official thing of it. And so there is a fear that comes when you make something official and people feel like a bike race is official. What we forget is we are not Olympic athletes. No, not even we, close. Like, we aren't racing the pros. Like, just because you say you're going to do a bike race doesn't mean that you automatically sponsor to be in helicopter lifted in with the Goodyear blimp above you. 90% of the races in Colorado are unsanctioned by USAC and the UCI, and they're just a bunch of people that are sold out for it. Nuts. A bunch of dirtbag mountain bikers That's out it. there having fun and calling in sick to work. Just some dorky, <laughs> dorky guys in spandex yeah. racing each other to see which one's the biggest dork of all. Yeah. That's uh, it. Well, and, and you're, you're right. I mean, I think when, when we sign up for something, we put a pressure on ourselves to perform. Well, if I can't do good, I don't want to do it. And, um, I think you're comparing yourself to the wrong group. You're comparing yourself to the hundred, 200, 400,000 people that are doing the event with you. Compare yourself to the tens of thousands of people who stayed home and didn't do anything that day. And you're outperforming them. Justin's holding up a it's me versus me sticker. I'm holding up a new sticker because what about racing that person? Yeah. Well, right? yeah. And so if you've never raced before, you're, you know, 
2019 or 2018, never raced. Didn't even consider doing a race. 2019, I did a race. Yeah, well, I got last place. I barely finished the whole. The tent was down. Hey, by I'll the tell time. everybody right yeah. now. I finished fifth from last at last year's Golden Giddy Up. I still had a good time. Great time. Didn't diminish my enjoyment one bit. No, it's listen. When we're gonna talk today's, event, I also got in my emotions about that a little bit, but. <laughs> i will say though that it was a bit of a uh energy kicker for it was it was a big turn because point. what other races did you do in last none year? zero that was the only one Nothing. right and because i was the only one and you maybe didn't perform the way you wanted to perform how is that affecting you for your plan for this year i mean you went and you done god and bit off the hardest race in the state yeah arguably um so i think i don't want to fall down the the 10 tips to get started racing whole. But I think you and I from our own experiences can outline some things that can help people make that jump from the couch to the event. Totally. We're going to talk about just a handful of things to get you rolling that can help alleviate some of the common uh, fears that are associated with saying, okay, I'm going to do this race. I've signed up for this thing. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're just gonna hit. We're just gonna hit a few of them. Some we're gonna talk about our fitness. Some we're gonna talk about our gear. Some we're gonna talk about our mental state. But just a handful of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we're speaking, I'm I'm getting, I'm getting text messages from a member of E3 and a customer of Basecamp who did his first race, his first mountain bike race ever last weekend. He did yeah. the Desert Rats hundred kilometer. Not an easy race. No, like if so. Tip number one: If you are going to do your first race ever. Pick an appropriate meal size. We've all been at the diner, super hungry. You show like roll it, I'm starving, yeah. and you've ordered all the meal. Mm -hmm. And then it showed up and you just ordered all the styrofoam to take it home. And, <laughs> uh, insert every meal I've ever eaten at that glorious Mexican food restaurant in Leadville after the Leadville 100. Yeah. I've never finished a post-race meal there. <laughs> no, I've taken home pounds of Mexican <laughs> food. Um, but the first thing that you need to do, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about, about this guy because he's a stud. He did the Desert Rats 100K, which is a 100-kilometer race. So you got 66 miles. 62, 62 63. Miles 62 miles and change. We should know this because we, we did a 100K event this year. It's like 62 and a half miles or something. So, uh, But over 60 miles as a first race in the desert with zero coverage, so max exposure. Yeah. Um, and that was his first race. And so we had sat down for the weeks leading up to the event, talking fueling strategy, uh, what to be doing fitness-wise leading up into it. And he succeeded. And the text message that we got on Saturday after hosting the bike camp that we oh, hosted yeah, we did together, the bike camp. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, was, yo, amigo, finish the race, felt great. Your fuel strategy was on point. I finished in seven hours and 48 minutes, so not super happy about the time, but I got off course for a couple bonus miles. And it was my first ever mountain bike race, so I'll take it. Thanks again for all the help. Yeah. The feeling you get when you type that message to anyone you've communicated about this first event, that feeling of typing that message is worth all the turmoil in spades that you may have gone through leading up to the event. So the first thing to think about is what type of event could I do that is within or near my bandwidth or scope that I know if I removed the race and I just said, I'm going to go do this ride on this Saturday. Can I do this ride? That's the first race to take in, in my opinion. I, I think I, so <laughs> the first bike race I ever did, um, as 
you know, some like, how old was I when I did my, the first real big bike race I ever did, um, was the Lebda 100. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I, uh, maybe I just came at it from a ridiculous perspective, but that's where I came at it from. Um, and so I think you can slice it both ways. Like Dan doing the, the 11.5 mile bear Creek race on Saturday. I mean, the guy goes to the gym, he works out, he rides his bike. He's got a one hour race. He yeah. does one hour workouts all the yeah. time. So money. Um, I think my perspective and kind of, where I started from, you know, the first, I, I had never ridden a hundred miles ever. Road bike, dirt, dirt, nothing. nothing. I'd never done a, a century on a road bike. Which, I mean, ridden a motorcycle hundred miles. No, I rode a motorcycle further than that, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I never pedaled a bike for a hundred miles. And, um, I think the way that I got there, um, was to, to take it seriously. You know, I, I had enough time to prepare and uh, sorry, looking at my notes. Uh, I'm looking at my notes. Uh, <laughs> but the first year I did Leadville, um, I knew I was doing it the almost, almost 12 months before. And so um, my the thought process was if I take this seriously and I focus on this, I'll be fine. Like I've mountain biked 25 miles and that's about, I've done some 60 ish mile road bike rides and that was kind of the outer limit. Um, and so my mentality was just, just be serious about it. Like it's the, any race is a commitment. It's a big commitment. It can be a big commitment because um, you are taking time away from your family. Um, you're spending money, whether you buy a new bike or not, you're going to buy stuff for that year. Right. right? Like, Absolutely. You're, like, and, um, tires, new chain, just maintenance just stuff. stuff that you don't want to just stuff. Like, you're going to hey, wear sure stuff okay out. You're going to wear, like, if you're putting in training miles for an event like Leadville, um, or, you know, anything, if you're putting miles in on your bike, you're going to wear stuff out. So you've got a, a time away from your friends and family. Um, you've got, um, just the, your own personal finances that could potentially be going to something else. And I don't care what anybody says. Like you're gonna care about your results. Oh yeah. Like, and so I think if you take it seriously, at the end, when you, when you can send that text message to a coach, a friend, uh, a spouse, a family member that, Hey, I, 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 I'm not all the way happy with what I did, but I did really good. I think if you just took the event seriously, like let it carry some weight. And that's how it worked for me. That's how right. all this stuff works for me. I always joke that, you know, when people are like, man, you're really like, you're, I, I'm impressed with what you're doing as far as your, your training. I was just like, my joke is, well, you know, fear's a, a powerful motivator. Um, and there's a little, like, to me, the fear of just, like, not doing good and letting down people in my life that are essentially my support group. Um, so, yeah, just taking it seriously and, like, allowing that event to carry some weight. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And if, 
I mean, anything we care about, we have to take seriously, right? Like it's just, it's just the way it is. It's the, that's why freebies don't work, right? It's right. why freebie taught like that, uh, that branded tape measure. Don't care about that it. free visor cap that you got that boxy gilded hundred percent cotton t-shirt that was yeah. tossed to you at a nuggets game. Like we don't care about things that come to us very easily when things require more of us. It makes a big difference. My point with my tip was not to say that a small race doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily hold importance either. Um, the idea with a small bite off is to complement what you're saying by taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. When we really set ourselves to saying, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing that's kind of freaky. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put this number plate on there. It's kind of freaky." The first time you do it, you are going to learn a ton of things. You are going to learn a litany of lessons that no podcast or book or blog online or online Facebook group can tell you. Uh, you're just going to learn them. And so this guy that just finished this race, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll leave his name incognito <laughs> because that's how we are. But uh, even though we've called out literally every other yeah, person. Yeah, no. So know. when Rob sent me the text message just now, <laughs> I asked him, I said, what were the, you know, what were your three quick, because he said in my first bike race, man, there's a lot of lessons I could have learned. Yeah. And we had spent, we spent a lot of time taking it seriously. We had his food mapped down in his water and his, we had him on salt pills as well. Uh-huh. Uh, we had it down to, to exactly what he was taking and when. He was taking no more extra and no fewer than what he needed, but we knew exactly what he was going to take, and he followed that plan meticulously and still had a lot of lessons to learn. Yeah, He did a lot of training rides, still had a lot of lessons to learn, and that will happen if you do a what I'm going to call a primer event. It, it helps to set you up for success on maybe that second event or that one that you're like, man, I really want to maybe be able to do this thing. And so... Picking, there's there's a Wednesday night series here uh, down in Castle Rock. There's a Wednesday night series up in Frisco. There's a lot of these weekday series. There's smaller bike races in Winter Park on Saturdays all throughout the summer. They give you the opportunity just to kind of learn the simple things. Like Rob texted me. I said, hey, what, what are a few things that you would have learned? Because, hell, I've done 50-plus, 60-plus race events, so I start to forget some of the lessons, you know? He goes, how about this one? Show up with ample time so that the – Race the the volunteers don't park you a mile and a half from the start. Yeah. And so you already got butterflies in your stomach. I've never done this before. Did I do the zip ties the right way on the handlebars of the number plate? And now I'm scramble riding through parking lots trying to find the start line and I feel like I want to vomit. Yeah. Right? That's something you would learn on maybe a a bite size event that is a little more approachable. You can learn something like that. Or uh another one, and this is a great lesson that I've learned in a lot of races, but paying attention to the actual race course, you know? And so with smaller bite-sized events, you can find yourself being more successful and learning the stuff that's just too hard to read about. So that's what I say is, you know, let's pick something ahead of you that seems, if I could do that ride on a Saturday, I could do that ride in a race format. Yeah. Um, sorry, a little, little, the action going on behind the scenes here. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I've that's that's all, like that's one of the biggest paranoias for me is being late to a race. Oh, dude, I, and uh, we didn't do not, we didn't do a good job earlier this year at Old Man Winter. No, I did. I did fine. I, I you I did, did awful, it, and we talked about that in a previous episode. I did awful, and that's about the worst thing you can do is just yeah. be that far behind. But 
Um, so you're right. We're not going down the tip chain, but we are talking, how do I get from couch to event? First off, pick an event that you know is within scope. Pick an event that you know within, is within scope if you want to learn some lessons. An alternate route is to pick an event that you know means so much to you that all of the things that come along with a big event um, are going to be, be – you'll make them work. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and then on the flip side of my, like, take it seriously, don't forget to have fun. Yeah, you know, you aren't a pro. No, nope. even if you have the spandex on, no danger on, of uh, first place for this guy. No, even if you have the spandex on, yeah. you're not pro. No, and and here's the deal with doing one of these events, and we get this a lot, a lot, especially with beginner bikers that are really interested. Because remember, a beginner biker, if you got into mountain biking this year, let's say you got into mountain biking this year and you bought your first mountain bike this year, you are actually more jacked up about mountain biking than a fourth or fifth year mountain bike racer. Yeah. You're geeked on it. You're thinking about it. You're looking Sorry, at it. Yeah. you got your desktop background on your computer is a picture of your bike, your profile picture on Facebook, maybe your front wheel. Like you are, your spouse or friends or roommates or whatever are sick about, sick of hearing about your bike. Yeah. So use that, that positivity. So people that are first time beginners are like, man, well, what can I, what, what can I do with this thing? Well, one of them is an event. Yeah. Oh, well, but, but I did just start. You are so going what? to be competing against people that have also just started. Well, and and I think like how fun is the group like once you're out on course. Like I think the one of the big things that I noticed at my first Leadville was just like the, the camaraderie of 2500 people, most of whom don't like even if you are racing with people you know, like you get separated and then you're just with a group of people that you don't know. And every race I've ever done, I've ended up with people that I don't know. And everybody's super cool. Like, yeah. everybody's supportive. And like, hey, man, if you pass them, like, hey, good job. If you're, you know, you know, whatever. Like, I think it's people are like, oh, I'm going to get out there and everybody's going to be super serious. And it's going to be this really, like, combative, competitive attitude. That's way up at the front of the race where you're not going to be. Right. Yeah. No, you are going to be surrounded by people just like you. Yeah. And, and, and there is... You're right, that kindred spirit camaraderie feels so good because odds are if you're into the sport, if you're into biking, mountain biking, you may have people in your life that get it, but odds are you probably have more people in your life that don't get it, like your coworkers or your entire family or the people in your household even. Like you're, You probably have more people that, that aren't fully on board, but when you're in that bike race, Everybody everyone, gets it. it's an automatic filter, yeah. right? And so yeah. you feel so close to all of them. Indeed. So, um, but yeah, have fun. You know, we, we, we joke about the bro ride and how, if you're serious about your training, uh, you know, you're, you're missing out on quality, but and we've said this a bunch of times before, man, if you're not having fun, why are you doing it? Yeah. It, if it is, if it's a job, then you are barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. Now, if you're, if you're saying, yeah, just, it feels like, it feels like a job because you're, you're nervous or you're scared. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that's okay to have that fear. Uh, and it is, like, for you, it's a big motivator for your training. But it's okay to have that fear. Really dissect it, though. Uh, don't just immediately be like, well, racing's not for me, man. It makes me feel goofy, you know? Yeah. Um, dissect it. Yeah. Challenge it a little bit. Well, and, and so Colin challenged me. He's like, you know, his, he's really, he only wants to do this because it's fun. He's... 
he's enough of a, of a hoss that he knows he'll just get through this event, right? Like he, I don't think for a second in his mind, whether he didn't, whether he just came off the couch or trained intensely, I, I really believe that he's just convinced that he'll complete this event no matter what. So any training is bonus. Any training he misses, he doesn't really care about because the heart and soul of doing something like Breck Epic is to have fun. And he kind of took me to task on, dude, you're taking it a little bit too seriously. And my, res my response to him was, to me, and just to me, just my experience of being a mountain biker right now in this snapshot of my life is the improvement, the trackable, measurable improvements that I get week over week, ride over ride. And so if you're finding fun in it anywhere, I think it's all bonus. Yeah, and, and here's the deal. I have never been depressed after a bike race event, no matter what my finish was, mm -hmm. when I'm sitting down and eating that post-ride meal yeah. in the sun. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they got bands playing. Everyone else is in the same exact situation. And once the uh, once the energy of the bit of competition, but the energy of the nerves and all of the, the goofiness with, oh, I haven't done this before, or I have done this, and I, I really want to get my goals. Once that all dissipates and you sit afterwards under the sun and realize like, Oh, we're all just a bunch of yuppies yeah. in the dirt, yeah. right? Like yeah. Once you accept it, uh, gosh, that's the that that feeling is all fun. Yeah, it is all fun, and and it allows you to tell a story. I I'm not a big quote guy at all. As a matter of fact, I, I hate the quoting of philosophers, right? The like Aristotle's and, and okay. whatnot. Because uh, first off, back like Seneca is who I'm going to quote here. Uh, Back when Seneca was alive, the great philosopher, it was 65 AD. Uh, there weren't a lot of people on the planet. He just happened to be the smartest one of not a lot of people. So um, I don't think it would have been hard to be a philosopher right. back at zero. <laughs> uh, if I was at zero, like I've been there before. I've been in the ball pit at a Chuck E. Cheese and stood up and said, you know what? I'm the smartest person in this ball pit. I've been at that point. So I don't give the philosophers a lot of credit. But there was a quote written in uh, a book I was reading from the cycling tourist. And I think I'd referenced it on the last episode. This, it's called Metal Cowboy. Check it out. It's just a fun read. And the quote is something to the effect of, you know, treat each and every day as a separate lifetime. So treat and respect each and every day as an entirely separate lifetime. And when we start to do that, we start to ignore some of the baggage we carry from the rearview mirror days. And we start to uh, eliminate a little bit of the stress and the anxiety we can feel from windshield days, like those days ahead of us. And we can really just say, in this daytime, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live this lifetime. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna live it great. And I think that that's a very cute and glittery phrase to put on the front of a, of a dream journal notebook. Mm -hmm. But if, if you put it in context, I think you can start to understand what we mean by saying, hey, from couch to event, why don't you go there and see what this lifetime could look like today? It's a completely new experience. And it came to this author, and the reason he used this quote to open this chapter of this book was because he had met a group of guys, and the group ranges between eight and 12 guys each year, but they're all guys in their late 60s to late 70s, these guys, okay? And they're a group of buddies who all ride recumbent bicycles. It so, <laughs> okay, so the recumbent bikes, we had an episode about e-bikes, so you can go and check into that one, but 
Uh, a recumbent bike is the one where you're sitting down. Oftentimes, they have multiple wheels, so you have like four-wheeled bicycles, and they got the big flag sticking up. Laying down to ride a bike. They're laying down to ride a bike. And they are highly dangerous because I live my life. You can't see them. No, you can't see them. They're too low. They're no. down there. It's like talking to a really short person. And so, uh, but th- these guys are in their 60s, 70s, getting into their 80s. They're allowed to ride whatever bike they want. And so, but what they do is they go out on three to four week long tours once a year. Uh-huh. They get approval from the wives or some of them have, have lost their wives. And they're out for three to four weeks. And the guy that wrote the book's a, a touring cyclist, so it's all about I'm getting to this town, or I'm going to log this mileage, or I'm going to log this, I'm going to traverse this mountain range. Or it's very goal oriented, oftentimes for a touring cyclist for a couple reasons. One, it's just nice to have a goal, it keeps you going, and when you're alone for so long. And then two, oftentimes it's critical for water stops, food stops, resupplies, things like that. Mm-hmm. These guys, when talking to this author, said, "Man, we don't even pay attention to what the day's goal is." We're just out here riding. Some days we ride 100 miles. Some days we ride for two hours and then play backgammon at a picnic table area for the rest of the day. We're just out here treating each of this, like the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm just riding bikes with my buddies. And it's this moment. And the guy referenced this philosopher's quote about treating life like a lifetime. Too many days can go by and weekends can go by and then May goes by and then June goes by and July goes by. And then Harley's looking in the mirror saying, I was supposed to do some primer events, and it's the Breckett. <laughs> and I didn't do one damn race. Or for those of you listening who have never yeah. done an event before, you go, oh, 2019's oh, I'll do that. You know what? I'll do that race yeah. next year. Yeah. Uh, I do, incidentally, just while we're talking about the, the I mean, this whole thing, um, not only did the woman I was talking to and her husband sign up for the Giddy Up, my buddy Andrew didn't even talk about it. And, and he signed up for up. the full, right? The full signed up for the full. Blew you away. And signed up for Old Man Winter because he bought a gravel bike. Dude. Like, crazy shout out to that guy. That's what I'm saying. People that are newer to the sport are They're so jacked. jacked. Yeah. So jacked. Yeah. And, uh, and we are in Colorado. So if you're listening to this, you know, in Michigan, well, Michigan's got a good cycling too. If you're listening to this in like Kansas. Yeah. All right. You may be like, I'm, I'm never going to do it because it's not around you. Here in Colorado, it's around us all the time. Mm-hmm. There's bike races almost every weekend, so it's around you. Um, so you're probably thrust into it a bit more here. But, yeah, beginners are jacked up. Yeah. Do an event. But, like, I'm crazy proud of the, the like, both of them. Um, and just a little bit more for Andrew because he's not been mountain biking for very long. And just, like, I, I didn't even, like, usually I give him a hard time and bust his balls about stuff. And he just showed up to the – the uh, one year party last weekend was like, dude, I signed up for Giddy. I was like, you did what? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a proud moment, I'm sure. No, I mean, for sure. You're the one that taught him how to mount bike. I mean, I, I won't go that far, but I mean, he started um, just riding these little rinky dink trails behind his, his house and over in like the Lakewood area. And, uh, and he's progressed a ton. So, um, I'm excited to see what, mountain biking looks for like for him this year. Um, but that brings up, I think another kind of important thing for me is have a buddy, like have a riding training buddy right now. Uh, Colin and I, I was making a, re- a remark to Colin a couple of weeks ago. We went and did a pretty, pretty quick lap after work, um, over at green mountain, um, which is, what is it? Nine miles ish. If you do kind of the bigger loop, right. Um, yeah. Nine and change. 1,100-ish feet of vert. 
nothing major. Um, Which is the exact profile of almost all XC races. Yeah. 10 miles, 1,000 uh, feet. Yeah. It's kind of how they work. Um, and uh, we went quick. And it was throughout the years, one of us has always been in better shape than the other. Um, for a number of years, um, the first time he lived here, I was in just abysmal condition. And then when he moved back up here, I had just come off of three years of training for various Leadvilles. And uh, so we always kind of had this like diametrically opposed fitness uh, going on. And this year, um, we're a lot closer. And some days he has me and some days I have him. And that adds a lot of, like if you've just got somebody to, to, to push with when you're out riding, has been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, having, you know, and then realizing, because that, that's, again, how, how racing goes, too. There's parts of a race where you're, you feel super strong, mm-hmm. and there's other parts of the race that you feel like kind of in the basement a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so if you have certain rides where you're walking out of there going, like, dude, I killed it that day. Yeah. Or your litmus test is your buddy sitting right next to you. Man, I didn't do it as much that day. It's okay. To, it's good to go through those emotions because it lets you know what to tweak and when. Yeah. You know, and, and it does. There's times when I'm sure you haven't wanted to ride or he hasn't wanted to ride, but you know, you get each other out there and be, be motivated to do it. For the most part, he kind of, he kind of poo-pooed on my, my road ride to quote unquote, not great trails. Yeah, no, he, he actually, I had talked with him as well. And he said, <laughs> dude, why don't you just text Harley? He was the one looking to go hammer. And I was like, <laughs> okay, uh, I will then. <laughs> so I love, uh, I love that I, I have close enough relationships with some of my friends that, you know, sometimes you send somebody a text message and they take it the wrong way because it's just words. Like, you don't know the tone that they sent it with. How many fights have you gotten yeah, in with somebody? Not, yeah, you need you a send, sarcasm font. Yeah, you're like, I made it italic, which meant I'm busting your chops. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. The smiley uh, face afterwards. Yeah. Like, ha ha, sort of funny, not really. Um, on Monday, um, when I told Colin what my plan was, his reply was, okay, period, have fun. And I just knew he was like, uh, you're an idiot, and that's a really boring ride, and I think you're dumb for doing it. <laughs> uh, so it, it was it was funny. Just go ahead and open it. I don't care. <laughs> Justin's like. <laughs> this is like, the quietest you can open up a four points bar on air ever. He's trying to, it's like he's trying to sneak a snack under his desk in detention. It's hilarious. Um, so, uh I think also for me, my, my first big race year, I was convinced I was just going to do it on my own. Um, and I got it done mostly. I mean, I hit my goal. Um, I made myself a sub 12 hour, uh, event or uh, time at Leadville. I got my belt buckle and I could have probably done better if I had engaged in some kind of coaching. Yeah. So, you know, it's, t- I sit here and so I own a business that is all about coaching. Come yeah. Coach with me, pay me. It's good for you. But equally, you're absolutely right. Going at this blind just is another level of tough, right? Like, Hey, I want to learn a foreign language, but um, I'm just going to close my eyes and think of what the words are going to be. Mm-hmm. No, you're going to use a guide. Yeah. You know, you're going to use a guide, and you're going to learn it slowly over time. And you're going to pick up little tidbits that you probably wouldn't have figured out on your own. Hell, it's why we pay all kinds of specialists in all parts of our lives. 
right? Is because they know the tricks that make things a little bit easier and they can bridge the gap from I know nothing to I feel confident. It's an accelerator program. Well, and it also brings some accountability, you know, like just like having a buddy to ride with or train with, having an external force, somebody, and, and a lot of times it's so weird because a lot of times I feel like people feel like they are more accountable to people that they don't know and are arguably like working for them. Like if I pay you money to teach me how to do something or make me better at a thing, you work for me. But in a weird sort of way, you're still working for me. I feel more <laughs> accountable to a stranger, right? right? To, so just having somebody, and when I say engage a coach, I don't mean spend thousands of dollars on nutrition and diet and, you know, blood tests and VO2 max and get a $600 bike fit. I don't mean that. I mean, just engage a professional, even if it's a once a week or once a month check-in to help guide your progress. Um, and I don't also just mean a fitness coach. I mean, we just had uh, Coach Andy from Dirt Smart MTB on, and Golden Giddy Up isn't necessarily an endurance event. It's arguably people are doing it because they get to ride down one of the more fun and challenging downhills that we With have. In no the, traffic. No traffic. And no rattlesnakes. Eh, there might be a few. <laughs> I think they sweep it. Um, so, you know, maybe you have a fitness regime that you're, you're happy with, you know, you, you go to the gym and you lift and you're not super worried about the timed climbing sections, but you really want to crush that descent. You really want to set a, a new PR or just do as good as you possibly can or finish high up the rankings on the descent at an enduro event or something like that. Well, there's a coach for that too. You know, there's somebody who's going to teach you how to go faster down a hill with more control and more safety. So any kind of professional that can just help your overall race experience, oh, I'm just going to ride. A, and that's what I did. I just did the, oh, I'm just going to ride a ton. And that's going to be all I need to do to excel at this event. Yeah. And he, here's another, to kind of piggyback on that with why a professional is helpful in any category. Again, any part of coaching, any part of aspect of this event for you or an event for you is, we are just a big bundle of freaking Tasmanian devil emotions at any given time. And sometimes we have them in check and sometimes they get the best of us. And if you have a good coach, the, uh, the right coach for you, uh, they're not going to treat you like a number. That's not what I'm saying. But a coach will provide an unemotionally charged assessment of where you are, where you could be, and maybe what you could do to get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I had, we had a, a... Dude, you've done it for me a thousand right, times. Right, like, hey, this is just, listen, <laughs> yeah, we're buddies, but hey, this is the this is the black and white of it. Yeah, we can go into the go into the office at E3. Yeah, and, and it's I can, special like, zone. Yeah, like, and I had that day, uh, <laughs> like four weeks ago, I just had an awful, and I was like, I sent, and I think Justin's got the same text message thing where he knows my tone. I was like, <laughs> I need to talk to you today. <laughs> and he's like, dude, I'm going to be mean. But once we go in the office, I'm going to be mean. And then when we come out, we'll be friends again. Right, right. <laughs> and that's, so we had, uh, we had Spry, a fitness company, in the gym today for a photo shoot all day. And when they're in my gym space for the entire day, just by default, they're like looking around and there's posters illustrating our systems. There's videos playing. Our, 
we've got cool tech tools everywhere. And so we've brought up this, this in-body machine that we've all used for body comp. And at the end of the job today, they were there from 8 a.m. until about 5. At 5 p.m., the photographer and the photographer's assistant both came over. They're like, so uh, can we do this machine? They'd asked to do it right after lunch. They had just eaten like a meatball sub from Snarfs. And I go, oh, guys, <laughs> not no, the time. Not the time. But in two hours we can if you don't yeah. eat or drink anything. So we did the scan. And, and before they got up on it, they had that moment where they're like, I actually, I don't really know if I want to do it. They asked, right? Yeah. Like they asked, I don't really know if I want to do it now. And I said, well, here's the deal. Whether you do this or not, because there's obviously an emotional barrier here, and this applies to whether or not you do hire somebody to help you or at least to check in with, whether or not you do this, your reality is still your reality. Like You're still in the shape that you're in. You still have the writing skills that you do or don't have. Like Your current state, your status quo is what it is, whether or not you engage someone to take a critical look at it. And by taking a critical look at it, there's only a positive that can come from it because being blind to where you are serves you none. And you're going to have days where being blind, you're like, I'm blind. I don't need to know those numbers. I feel great. And there's going to be a day where you're like, I feel horrible. And you don't know why. I need a reason. <laughs> yes. And a coach will give you a good coach. Yeah. Will, will not try to be your buddy, but will give you a unemotional, completely subjective this is the way things are. Yeah. That's, and I think I, I tell that to customers all the time. Um, I get people who come in and ask for, for, you know, can you help me out on the price? And I think just like this, like, it's just, it's, it's not cause I don't want to, it's just math. Right. Right. Like it's just numbers. Like your body fat percentage is your body fat percentage. Your lean muscle mass is your lean muscle mass. Like it's just raw data and we're just working with that. Right. Yeah. And you're in, th this is a, this is it, and, but, and here's the best part. Here's what we can do. And that's what you don't have by yourself. You don't have a, here's what we can do. You have a, I'll try this. Maybe it'll work. You don't have a, here's what we can do. You're right. And, uh, so what, Justin, what about all these YouTubers who just started their own fitness journey and they just research stuff and, you know. So, so, so when I hire somebody... <laughs> I mean, but like those videos, like there's a thousand of them on YouTube right mm -hmm. now. Yeah, no, and they're powerful. Dude, there is in the most unlikely of, of all places, I play a lot of video games. So I follow a lot of people who stream video games on, on uh, various networks, Twitch, YouTube, et cetera. One of the guys that I follow just this video game YouTube, like his stuff is all about video games. He just published a fitness tips, like how he got to where he, I'm like, so they're coming out of the woodwork. So it's not undoable. Right. But how much better can you be with somebody helping you? Let me ask you. Okay. Have you ever had a piece of shit car? Yeah, <laughs> I had. So my first car, um, which I felt a little slighted. I'm trying to sound country club, but my dad at the time I turned 16, was a general manager of an Infinity dealership. <laughs> and so I was thinking, and I'm like in high school in Phoenix, I'm 16, and I'm thinking, and he, he made good money. Like, sure um, enough, I'm getting something dope. Getting a fucking Infinity, dude. Like, I'm getting like, I'm getting a sick car, right? <laughs> I'm like, is it a G20? Is it going to be an I-35, J30? Like, I'm jacked. I'm like, I'm getting a sick car, right? I got a 1992 Saturn SL2 <laughs> four-speed stick oh, shift four-door. So bad. 
uh, five-speed stick shift, four-door, navy blue, cream interior. And I remember walking out to the driveway, and he didn't get it to me for my 16th birthday. He got it for me uh, as just, he, he just gave it to me. And the reason he did that, as I learned, was if he gave it to me for my birthday gift, then it was mine, right? Like, if you give me a pair of jeans, they're mine. You're not going to take them back and wear them for yourself. So he didn't give me a car for my 16th birthday. I was kind of like, what the hell? He gave me a car a few weeks later when I had got my license and everything was done. And he goes, I'm just going to give it to you, which means I can just take it away whenever I want. You don't own it. You're temporarily holding it. That is the agreement that we have with this vehicle. So like, yeah, dude, cool. Sweet for the Saturn Infinity Man. Like, you know, like part of me, like, I know that doesn't make me sound very good, but that's how I was. So this car served me great through, through high school. Look, it's not a weird expectation. My dad was a carpenter. Our shit was always fixed. Like our house was always fixed. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you're like, there's an expectation. Yeah, like, like, dad, the door's broken. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, dad, you have an infinity dealership. I'm 16. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. So I have the Saturn and uh, great through high school, but then I went to college. I didn't treat it very well. And so it started to like, kind of like crumble down. And uh, I, the starter went out. And uh, you don't need a starter to start a car, especially a, when it's a stick shift. Yep. You just roll down any hill, pop the clutch, and that Starts. thing's firing right up. Yeah. So I did that for a year. <laughs> so for a year, it was important for me to find a hill and park facing downhill uh, so I could start the car. And when I didn't, I had to like push and run the car and then pop the clutch and start it. So you can start a car by popping the clutch. That's not a difficult thing to do. It's not the way to do it. Right. That was a. I was really wondering how you were going to get oh, back. I just thought that was a good story. It was good. I just didn't know how you were going to get back. Yeah. So that's good. how. Kudos. You can start a. You can start a car hundred different ways. Right. Was it the right way to do it? Yeah. And that's the key here. Yeah. Right. Like just just let's short circuit the learning curve a little bit. Um, so great tip. Employ somebody or even just reach out to somebody maybe you trust. Like we we do forget because I think the mentor concept. Has, has gone away in our culture just a little bit. Like there's less mentors because, yeah, we can find this crap on YouTube. Fun, I mean, but the chick who lost, the dude who lost 197 pounds doing, um, uh, let's, let's, let's have some, let's have some real fun doing Zumba at the local YMCA, loses <laughs> 197 pounds was great for that person. Yeah. They're probably not the one to ask you or for you to ask rather on, hey, why, do, how do I biomechanically do a proper deadlift so I can engage my posterior? Mm hmm. They're not the right person. So, well, and, and what works for them is not going to work. For exactly. You. So, but we've lost mentors because information's out there. Yeah. So, if you don't want to hire a coach, you don't want to hire, uh, employ somebody, you know, at your local bike shop to help you with understanding how things work and where you could where you could find some some help. Uh, just simply maybe find somebody that they only need to have done one race or one event, and they can help you. They have 100% more experience than you do, so they can at least help you. There you have it. And it, I've done that for people. I've uh, I've had other people that I've raced with say, hey, this friend of mine's talking about doing Leadville 100. Can we sit down and have a, have a, a coffee or a beer with him and just kind of talk about your experience? So, yeah, I think that carries a ton of weight. Um, we're talking a lot about physical training, what about the mental component? You know, there's a, I love to circle back. Michael Phelps, angry, crazy looking human being. He has a visualization technique that he uses before every event. And he talks very openly about it. You can find this online. It's pretty cool to hear him talk about it. But 
he doesn't just think, I'm going to train really hard, I'm going to jump in the pool, and I'm going to swim really fast. But he visualizes every single aspect of all of it. He visualizes the strokes, the kick turn, um, how he's going to feel when he comes out of the water. He visualizes every aspect of that moment, and he says he, he calls it playing the tape. So that way he can, when he goes to the event, just hit play and have confidence in playing the tape. And so when it comes to the mental side of things, a big tip from my side, and this is kind of like the coachy guy in me, but the big tip from my side is is see your, and not, not like Tony Robbins, like visualize it to win type stuff, but like really do that. Play, write the story. Like what would the story look like? Um, I told you 50, 60 plus races in. I still do that myself, which is why I say a race with no strategy. I get out in front right away. Every race I do, while many people smarter than I in strategy would say maybe not the best thing to do because right. you might be blown too much too early. Well, you've you've even critiqued me at holding back. I'm I'm like again I'm on the other end of that. Right, like, you're like dude. Like I looked like your 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 heart rate data shows a a trend towards more intensity at the end. It's like so, right. but I jump out, and the reason I jump out is it's easier for me to be in first mm-hmm. or be out front or bend it and say you've got it, now only you can lose it. Right, keep it. You've got it. And so then when I get towards those points where I'm aching and hurting in the race and I feel like, oh, the cramp monster's coming, whatever it may be, I start thinking, what would it feel like to cross this finish line in the position I'm in right now? Mm -hmm. What would it feel like to call my wife after this event? Because I don't make her come to these anymore, but (laughs) there's too many of them. (laughs) What would it feel like to share it with my base camp community? What would it feel like to share it with my gym community? Not that I'm doing it for them, but it brings me great joy to to lead from the front. Mm -hmm. And so I visualize that even intra-race to keep me to task. And so for me, the mental side of things is tell the beautiful story and then ask yourself, how can I make that story come true? Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, it. In a weird sort of way, I bring it up because the the mental game is almost more important for me. I've done, like the, like, the first year I did Leadville was in 2015. And because I had ridden, I pre-rode the first half of the course and had some knowledge of the second part of the course. Um, yeah, up? Up, yeah. <laughs> sucks. Um, I, I, I did that. I played out the whole scenario. How does the start feel? How does the first climb feel? How does getting to twin lakes outbound and seeing my wife there? Like that's going to, that's going to jazz me up a little bit, right? That's going to energize me. And then how am I going to feel coming back through twin lakes outbound or no, I get inbound at that point. I get to see my wife again. And then another 40 miles after that, I get to cross the finish line and see all my friends and everybody that, you know, helped me along the way. And my wife who came out and supported me, like I did, I ran through that scenario easily three nights a week for almost a year. So that's the uh, completely psychotic way to do it. But yes, <laughs> nailed it on visualization as but well. But I mean, like, but, but yeah, I made it, to... you made it so second part, part of, you made it that it, you made it real. Yeah. And, and I think that's the year that I didn't finish. I, I let, um, I, I'm going to reference the, the David Goggins book that literally everybody's read at this point, but the guy's got some good info. <laughs> um, but,
But like that, that little doubt monster that just starts chiseling away at the back of your brain, like that year, there were some other things. I didn't train as much as I should. I made some bad decisions about diet stuff. But I think more important than anything was that little nagging, why am I out here? What am I doing? What does it matter? Who cares if I finish? I don't care if I finish. Um, it got in. I let it in. And then at mile 64, I stopped. Let me, um, let me build that. Let me build that man back up that I see sitting across from me. In that lowest of lows, that Saturday night, what was your thought towards the following year's Leadville 100? I'm going to go get that bitch. <laughs> you, I've seen you down before. Yeah. And when I crossed the finish line that year, that was my first Leadville. Yep. I didn't hit, I mean, I hit my goal time. I beat my goal time. Mm -hmm. I didn't get sub nine the first year. Had a wicked number two brewing a storm. <laughs> so while you quit at 64, I buried myself in a porta potty at mile 80 and just dumped it out. <laughs> And I was sitting down, and it felt so good. I would be so happy if we did one episode where we didn't talk about one of your bodily functions. Sorry, bro. <laughs> D's shaking his head. <laughs> but I didn't want to stand up. Yeah. Like, I never knew yeah. a stinky porta potty could feel so good. It was a haven. Yeah. When I got through the finish line, um, I, I had heard, I heard like, uh, right after my wife hugged me, yeah, um, that you didn't finish. And, like, I didn't want to have finished. Because I was like so broken, knowing how you would have felt, like yeah. I, like I could feel your pain, and and beyond that, I was like, well, then he he's obviously found an old mine shaft here in Leadville, and he's he's hunkered down so that he right. doesn't have to see anybody on the planet. Yeah. And when we reconnected, there wasn't a doubt in you about what you were doing the following year, and so when you talk about the mental aspect of of doing an event. And you talk about how it has to be so serious. It has to hold weight for you. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you're doing a 11 and a half mile spin around Bear Creek Lake State Park, right? The the heart and the mind have to be around it. And for you, it was seeing it. And you saw it so well that when that didn't happen the second time, there wasn't a doubt. Back yeah, in. yeah. And I think I think you and I have vastly different fitness levels. You're finishing with a whole different group of people than I am. But I think the common thread is the last 15% of every race, all the training, all the preparation, all the nutrition plan, all that stuff aside, the last 10 to 15% of any race is a mental battle with yourself and the course. 100%. So what do we do to, to like mentally toughen ourselves, challenge yourself on a climb to, Hey, I usually like, there are spots where on every ride that I do in the front range, Oh, this is usually where we stop and bullshit for a minute. Don't stop. So you're at the end of every race is tough. And it's because if you've done the race, right, you're at the very, you have the very bottom of the power meter you're, at the, you're you know, at the bottom of the cup you're losing the you're using the last of the bit um for me secret secret deal uh, i keep a spark on the ready <laughs> and the second i start to feel like oh i'm tapering i'm gonna blast myself with like 250 milligrams of caffeine and some b well, sure but i mean like that's that's one part of it that's yeah. a, that's a nutrition yeah. no, component but, but like 
your body hurts. Your lower back mm-hmm. is hurt for 80 miles. Like, yeah. you know, you didn't like everything hurts and everything is like, man, I could, this, this can all stop if I stop. So you referenced David Goggins book. And, and I think one of the, one of the, my favorite parts of the deal was he was in a, in a world of pain, like a world of pain after his first hundred mile event. Uh, he did a 24 hour event at a track where you just ran the same quarter mile track for 24 hours. And he had to do it to prove that, that he deserved to be in bad water. Mm-hmm. And so bad he, water is in Utah. hundred. Yeah. 135 miles of running in the desert. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Miles Anyhow, hundred miles. And, uh, he had to prove that he was worthy to do it. So he went and did this, this event, this race. And when he got done, he was in, he was in so much, much hurt that uh, he couldn't walk. He was, he was carried into his car and then carried into his house and then carried into a bathtub of ice at his house. And uh, I mean, he ultimately ended up in the hospital. Um, like his kidneys were shut yeah, down. Yeah, he had kidney like, failure. His feet were broken. F- yeah. His shins were broken. Everything was ruined. And, and he sat there and he said, you know, I earned this. I, I did everything to put myself, no one did this to me. Like I earned this hurt. Like this, everything I did was because I pushed and I earned it. And mm-hmm. so the mental part of, and the way you can train on your own to train this, the mental toughness that's needed at the backside of this is own the fact that you did this to this point. And if you don't finish what's ahead of you, well, then you truly did it for nothing. Mm-hmm. Because this, like everybody gets a ribbon participant nonsense uh, that that is said like, well, at least you went out there and you tried and you did your thing. Like, if you voluntarily quit at a point, then you you left an opportunity on the table to find a new version of yourself. And so when I get to that breaking point, when I get to that tough point, man, it'd be so easy to cash it in right now and just quit. I could easily could quit. I felt like that at True Grit this year. Yeah, um, I felt like George. that five different times at uh, Old Man Winter. Yeah, like. like we're in town. I can call an Uber XL. With like hot coffee in my hand. <laughs> like <laughs> I can't feel my hand, but I'd be able to know that there's hot coffee in it because I'm looking at it. Yeah. But then you've just lost the opportunity to to put a punctuation point. Maybe it's not an exclamation mark, but it's at least a, a period. Yeah. At the end of this lifetime event you've had today. Yeah. Um, and, it, and if you don't, if you don't allow yourself or force yourself to kind of bite and grit through that mental piece, you lose that opportunity and it's just a run on. And, and, you gotta, and you leave it there hanging, and it just will nag you more than anything else. Rebecca Rush is another great example. The queen of pain is what they call her. A female endurance athlete that... Total animal. A thousand times harder than I will ever be on my best day. Mm-hmm. And she quit a race when she was a, a cross-country runner, and uh, she said she's never forgot that. With everything she's done since... The, she set records at Leadville four years in a row. She's... a, a world champion. She's a U.S. Olympian on whitewater rafting. She, unreal. And she goes, I'll never forget that race gave up. And I decided that even if I cross the finish line and they're tearing down the like grandstands and, and they're putting away the tables full of gels and everyone quit, I'm still going to cross through it because I can't let go of that moment when I just said, nah. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, for me, it, it's just not allowing the possibility to not finish. Like that, that's my whole race mentality or any event mentality. Just my, 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 my thought to myself, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say like a, a mantra or anything like that. Um, but the, the thought that I have on loop or on repeat is, uh, there's no scenario where I don't finish and that's it. 
Yeah, that in in and through that, you can process where you finish. You can process how the race went. Yeah. You can pro but if you stop before that line, yeah. you're not allowed to process any of anything else because you not that you don't have the information or, or not that you could have somebody help you do that, but you just at that point emotionally you you won't be able to bridge from I didn't finish. Mm -hmm. So it got a little heavy there. It did. It did. But I mean, but that's, that's a big part of it. I mean, everybody does all the physical. Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I've been doing this many miles and my FTPs this and my body. Like I, you get into this like over analytical, I'm hyper-focused on the preparation physically. And again, for me, the mental components arguably more important. Like you can convince your body, your brain can convince your body to go further and harder and longer than your body wants to go. And so if you ignore that mental component, you're leaving a lot on the table, even for a shorter event. Totally. So, yeah, I mean, nailed it, dude. Yeah, put it, <laughs> just, dude, put it down and go to work. So I've never done an event before. I want to do my first one. It sounds super scary. What's going to get me out there? Some of the things we covered. Out of the gate, know something, know your goal, know your event is within scope for you, right? Like, I've never done an event before. I'm going to go do Dirty Kanza. Might be a little intense, right? But if you take it seriously. <laughs> but if you take it seriously. But there's a lot to be gained by just saying, hey, like, I know I can do this. I, uh, eliminate the stresses of racing. Yeah. Eliminate all the anxiety about the event. Like, can I go and ride this 12 and a half, 32, 46, 100 kilometer, can I go do this event? Is it within my physical abilities or can it be within my physical abilities with the right amount of preparation and seriousness given to the task at hand? Step one, get that there, right? Yep. Number two, find somebody to rely on, whether it be a writing partner or a coach or a mentor, somebody that can provide you feedback outside of your own little silly inner ear conversation, which can go real dark Real quick, yep. find somebody else that can help just keep you in check a little bit to pull you out of maybe not the greatest times and to help champion your really good times so they can keep you moving forward. We talked about that. Um, hit us up. Where do we go? What else we got? We got um, focus on the mental game. It's wildly important. Um, do things that anytime you're, you're, anytime you're putting fitness into that account as it were, you know, when you're out doing, uh, something that's meant to be positively contributing towards your, your fitness goals for your event, don't let yourself stop and take a break. Do things that I think mentally toughen you up so that when you are in the, the home stretch of your event, whether it's 12 miles or 120, do things that are, are going to instill that I don't have quit in me kind of mentality. And then lastly, it is about the fun. Yeah. Have you, you gotta yeah. have fun. You're not you're not getting a sponsorship based on your finish time. Truly, truly have fun. And that doesn't mean that every part of it's gonna be fun. Here's the thing. I have wicked butterflies before every single event. No matter how hard I have prepared for it, no matter how hard I've mentally envisioned like winning the event or performing well at the event. I have crazy, crazy butterflies every single time up until that exact moment that 
the start gun goes off or they say go. And the second that that happens, all of those nerves go away. So if the idea of doing an event just kind of tightens your throat up a little bit, it makes you nervous, but you don't want to admit that you're nervous. So you say stuff like, oh, racing's not for me. I just ride for fun and blah, blah, blah. But it's really just kind of the fear factor a bit. It all goes away the second you pedal that crank forward and realize everyone around you is in the same scenario. Yeah, first pedal stroke, guess what? You're racing. So yeah. have fun. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you will. You will. If, you, if you've really picked a thing that meant something to you, you will. And if you love the sport, you will. And it, it, if it all goes bass backwards for you and turns tits up, well, then you know it's not for you. Yeah. But at least you know. Yeah, you tried it. You tried it, something yeah. new. Yeah. Like, you try new food all the time. Maybe you don't. But if you're, you know, a halfway enlightened individual, you're going to try new stuff frequently throughout your life. Some of them are for you. Some of them aren't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, big underscore on the enjoy it have fun. Like let it, don't make it be trudgery. Like I, even I'm guilty sometimes of going, Oh, I got, you know, I got this training ride or I got that thing. But at the, at the end of it all, I'm having a ton of fun. Yeah. I have even said, Oh man, I got this race this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, you mean the race that you voluntarily bought a super nice <laughs> yeah. bike for you paid to go to, you've traveled <laughs> to go on to, you've disregarded other responsibilities to be here. And it's like, Oh man, I have to do it. Like yeah. give yourself some slack. Yeah. Chill yeah. out, bud. Yeah. Have some fun. Couch event's not hard, guys. It's not a terrifying thing. It's just simply something that's going to make you different tomorrow. Just riding your bike with a number plate on it. Riding your bike with a number plate on it. (laughs) Um, We had a fun week, though. Um, Not this week, the week before. No, it was this week. Was it last week? I can't remember. We We got some new gear. Oh, dude, we got hooked up. We got our new wheels. We I haven't got, ridden mine yet. We got our Crank Brothers wheels. Awesome. Carbon wheel set. Have you ridden uh, yours? I rode mine. Ridden mine twice. So you've got, you've got carbon wheel, wheel experience So on other brands. I do. Uh, so one of the things to really get my head around is that each of my carbon wheel setups are, are pretty totally unique. Totally different. Yeah. Totally different, yeah. right? Like trail ride situation, like bomber situation, and this is very much a race situation. Um, I will tell you that the second I put the wheel set on the bike, um, the prior to setting the carbon wheels up and putting them on, I felt like I was getting ping ponged just a little bit when I would ride the bike. Like mm-hmm. it, I always, I thought it was like, oh, maybe it's this bike's only twenty five pounds. It's super light. Uh, you know, it's maybe it's just throwing me around because of that. I put the carbon wheels on there, and I started to really feel like I could demand where the bike went versus just being reactionary yeah. a little bit. And, nice. and I've had, I think you've explained to me before the way you know alloy works versus carbon and some of the benefits, but even with other wheel sets I've had, um, I've noticed I've been more responsive than, than proactive. Bike goes more where you want it to go. Yeah, I get, nice. to, I get to do what, what I like to do. And um, when I ride, I, I oftentimes think about the rear tire being a paintbrush. And like, wow, what would that ride look like if... I painted my route. Like, did it look like I was doing what I wanted to do or was I just squirrely bandit all mm-hmm. over the, the trail? So um, put the Crank Brothers carbon wheels on and in the first just two rides, I, I feel like I have more command of the bike, which cool. is really cool. Yeah. Um, they are set up front and rear different. Yeah, they're unique rim designs for the front you know, and the rear. So they have kind of unique characteristics uh, to handle the, the different demands that a front wheel and a rear wheel go through. So I, I'm... I'm super, I have, like I said, I put mine on, I think yesterday. Um, I was just being lazy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm super jazzed to take mine out. So I think we can uh, 
maybe talk a little bit more uh, about that. And then Rogers coming in for Memorial Day weekend for some uh, team photos and riding, and he's going to put his new Orbea Oweth together. And uh, so that'll be fun. Then you got a big adventure planned. Yeah, got a big Memorial Day plan with the wife. I told her that. Uh, I tell her I didn't tell her anything. I know better than that. Eight years of marriage. <laughs> you suggested. I, I said, hey, I got a few ideas for Memorial Day weekend, and one was a race in Durango I'd done before. It's a totally awesome race. Another was a race in Gunnison I'd done before. Awesome race. And she is just she's ride or die. Goes with me, and we have a ton of fun. I make sure that we do fun stuff outside of her just sitting at the finish line. Um, I said, or I have this third idea. The rest of my summer is very selfish with bike racing, and it is really just about what I'm doing. And so is what is. I think this is a great opportunity for us to spend time together, a little bit of couple bonding on a bike. What would you say to a four-day, 261-mile road bike tour through Colorado, camping off the bike, living in just a cycling kit and a change of clothes? What do you say? And to this day, I sit here flabbergasted that she goes, wow, that sounds fun. I'm in on that idea. (laughs) I was like, what? So we're getting a little long-winded, so we do need to wrap up. But we did a skills clinic last weekend, and I told Justin and Abby that Abby was my new favorite mountain biker because there was one feature, and a handful of the, the people we were coaching were like, well, how would you handle this? So I like was standing on it and like looking it over. I'm like, well, you could do this line. And like I'm like analyzing this relatively simple section of trail for an experienced mountain biker. And then... Abby just comes rip roaring out of nowhere and since it wasn't a big jump or even a big drop, but she just like, she just all gas air mails it just went. And then little Emily followed her and almost died. Well, that's a great story. <laughs> I'm going to uh, go ahead and share a picture with you of my wife's legs right now, because <laughs> I will tell you that while that philosophy works oftentimes, the other times it doesn't always, but I will tell you, she bounced up like a ball every time. And just had all the smiles. Yeah, um, she loves it, dude. Yeah. So it it was totally cool. So no, that's awesome. um, so the next episode, I think we'll recap um, our kind of our, what our Memorial Day weekends are. Our, yeah. uh, Roger's going to hang around the shop. He's going to build his bike, and we're going to try to catch a few bike rides while he's in town. Yeah, it'll be fun to ride with Roger and get us all out. Just you know, team compliant, which will be a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, so we'll circle back after Memorial Day weekend, and Lord knows if I'm rolling 261 miles with the wife. With nothing but the gear on our bikes, uh, there is going to be some stories. <laughs> no doubt. Um, I'm kind of hoping that you forgot about what we talked about at the beginning, but I don't suspect that I didn't, you did. Harley. So we're an hour and 20 minutes Damn in, it. and here's the deal. Um, no judge. Straight up. Let's do this. I'm going to avoid the judgment, okay? I have nothing in your decision. I know. I know you don't. Okay? I know you don't. I, I want to, but I'm not going to allow myself <laughs> to have anything in your decision. So I... Uh, I just started listening to a podcast called Safety Third, which uh, for for anybody that rides bikes or does outdoor sports, you should definitely check out. And they just had Yeti, uh, what do they call her? They call her Dr. Downhill, Ann Galleon. Um, She like simultaneously was kind of kicking ass as a pro downhiller and enduro rider and getting a PhD, like at the same time, like traveling internationally racing bikes at a crazy high level and finishing a PhD. So pretty impressive. And I had to listen to the podcast because the, the title of it was make decisions at race pace. And 
I know I did, like Justin's got a like ear to ear grin, like because he, <laughs> whether you like it or not, <laughs> he'll he'll tell you, be right, be wrong, be fast. That's it. Which, be fast. Just, just get out of the way. You can pivot. <laughs> be right, be wrong, be fast, man. Uh, so Anna Galian, uh, Anne Galian, not Anna. I always want to call her Anna. I don't know why. <clears throat> her philosophy. Uh, so she had a a pretty like key moment in her life. She was being paid to ride bikes at a high level, travel internationally, but she had just completed a, a PhD and had a, like the offer, like the once in a lifetime Google, you know, a friend of mine works for Google and she's like, you know, when Google calls, you pick up the phone. It was, it was one of those moments for her. Like, and so she made her decision at race pace. She evaluated there's, Two lines in front of her. She just looked at it like it was a trail. There's two lines. She assessed the data and she made a decision. Incidentally, she chose to not be a broke bike racer <laughs> and uh, and went with the the, the PhD route. But um, she she said she's highly analytical, but she makes decisions quickly. And either way, um, it probably worked would have worked out well. So be right, be wrong, be fast, make decisions at race pace. Um, I'll, I guess I'll be out there freezing my ass off with you on Saturday morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had everything in that answer, by the way. Well, so, you know, make decisions. I'm looking, there's, it's going to be raining, which means it's probably going to be a slow day. At the, it's going to be cold and raining. So it's probably going to be a cold day at the store. So then I feel a little bit less worse about taking some time for myself on a Saturday morning and riding bikes. Done. <laughs> if you guys need to find us this weekend, we're out at Bear Creek Lake State Park. All the four-letter words. Yeah. And uh, come say hi. The base camp cyclery tent will be up. Um, there will probably be a cooler full of drinks. We'll be on the race course, so we don't know. Yeah. But come say hi if you see us out there. And uh, man, we look forward to catching up with you guys after Memorial Day weekend. And until then, it sounds like the events in less than 48 hours. Harley and I got to go shave our legs. Yeah. We out. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> You're not done! So get the fuck out! You're weak! You're done! So get the fuck out! You're weak! You're done!